The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. It's a new year. (laughs) New year. New you. You can sit in the front row. Um, Hey, hopefully uh, you all are doing well. Uh, Welcome to Fathom Church. For those of you who I do not know, I'm Kyle Knight. I'm the youth and digital pastor here um, at Fathom Church. Uh, Welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, It's good to see you all. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Um, If you have your own Bibles or open up your phones, your tablets, uh, you can use the Bible underneath every chair. That's going to be on page 988. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, Hope you all had a great Christmas. Um, I wasn't here this last week either, so Happy New Year's as well. Hope you all had a good and safe uh, New Year's. Uh, Just to remind everybody, uh, get excited about next week. Uh, Next week, we'll be diving into our spring sermon series uh, back in 1 Samuel. So next week, uh, Pastor Chris will be here talking about 1 Samuel. We've been doing that the last few years each spring. And so uh, we kind of take a pause, and now we're going to jump back into it where we left off uh, with the the life of David. And so we're really excited about that. So uh, hopefully you are as well, and you come back next week. Um, But for today, uh, since this is a start of the new year, I know um, some people make New Year's resolutions, okay? Uh, Maybe you are one of those uh, types of people, uh, and really, I've learned that uh, you're you're either one that's gung-ho about New Year's resolutions, or you can't stand them and you hate them and you never make them. Um, There's sometimes no middle uh, to that, but I I would love to sort of see how those are going for those of you who make New Year's resolutions. So I just want to see a little show of hands. Who in here has made at least one New Year's resolution this year? Okay. A few more than first service, actually. Okay. Okay. And it's it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. Okay. We're just... All right. I just I just wanted to see. Now, for those of you that um, I want to take a poll for those of you that have made a New Year's resolution, um, who has already failed at that New Year's resolution? Honesty. Okay. Fine. Okay. I was gonna say. Well, we're we're eight days in, so way to go. Um, good job keeping up with those resolutions. But um, just to make you feel a little bit better, if you have struggled with some of those, I want to give you a little stats, Um, some stats about some of the New Year's resolutions. Um, uh, So this is for for U.S. adults, okay? 38.5% of U.S. adults make some sort of New Year's resolution, okay? I thought it would be a lot higher, but even just seeing like the show of hands that there's not too many, that that sort of makes sense. So 38.5% of adults make some kind of New Year's resolution. Uh, The most popular of those resolutions being, there you go. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Health-wise. Yeah. I want to to lose weight. I want to exercise more. All those sorts of things. 48% of those who make a New Year's resolution, 48% of those have something to do with health-related or exercising more, losing weight. Um, 23% quit their New Year's resolutions within the first week. So for those of you that haven't quit yet, way to go. You're on the right track. Um, Only 36% make it past the first month. Okay. And the last one, here's the kicker, only 9% are actually successful 
in their New Year's resolution, whether that's to, they, they go the entire year or they go until they've completed um, whatever goal that is. So if you're already struggling a, a little bit, you're not alone. Um, and if you've already failed, there's always next year, right? You can just wait till next year. Um, but because this, uh, we're, we're starting a new year, uh, this is really the perfect time that many of us are focused on what are some of the things we might do in this upcoming year to sort of better ourselves, right? Uh, to change some things that we've been doing in our lives, to set goals for ourselves. If you don't like resolutions, maybe goals is a better word for you. Uh, continue to, to, to work on ourselves in this upcoming year. And for some reason, it's like this natural sort of tendency, this natural desire for humans to, to want to work on ourselves, right? To, to change ourselves, to better ourselves. And most of the time, I feel like we're not really good at it. Right? Maybe, maybe that's just me, uh, but, but we fail at it a lot. Right? We just can't seem to finish something that we've started when it comes to working on ourselves. And that brings us to our text this morning that we're going to look at. So get in front of you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're only going to look at two verses this morning. Okay? But I feel like these are two very important verses that I believe is really going to sort of set us straight um, in, in, in this, this new year as we're kind of looking at maybe bettering ourselves or setting goal for ourselves. I think this will sort of set us straight and help us remember this, the truth about our, our progress on ourselves and what this kind of looks like and what it should look like to us. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. So verses 23 and 24, I'm going to read them for us really quick, and then we'll dive into it. So starting with verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And you see, church, this, the, the new year brings on this attitude of change in us. Like it brings on out, out the motivation to want to better ourselves, to make changes to ourselves, to work on ourselves. And I mean, really, it's, it's kind of that's why we do it at this time of year. Like what, what better way to start it than what better time than to start a new year with new goals, to want to be healthier, to want to exercise more, to maybe go after that new career, whatever that is, to want to strive to love more, to have deeper, committed, authentic relationships to start working on ourselves more to feel better and be stronger and be confident, to be more gracious, more hospitable, just to be happier. Like, like all those things are good, by the way. But I, I think as, as Christians, like if, we, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a believer and follower of Jesus as, as Lord and Savior of your life, I feel like we, we try so hard to fix ourselves, and work on ourselves and, and do this work ourselves. And then when we do, I feel like more often than not, we end up failing and we can't seem to finish. Like we have that motivation, that excitement, what that new year even brings, that drive. And then it seems to fade over time, some quicker than others. And, and we give up and then we stop working on ourselves. We fall short because it's hard. It's hard work to work on ourselves. And we forget that we have a God, the God of the universe that is continuously working 
on us himself. And so that's what the apostle Paul is saying here. He's reminding us here in this book of first Thessalonians, which really is, this is a letter um, to the church in the city called Thessalonica, which um, is, is modern day Greece. So to help you get a picture of that, modern day Greece. And this is said to be Paul's, uh, one of Paul's first epistles. So an epistle really just a letter that an apostle is writing to a church or a group of people. So this is Paul's letter to the church of really modern day Greece in Thessalonica. And so uh, we see here towards the end of this first letter, to this church in Thessalonica in which Paul has really been encouraging his brothers and sisters in a place where this is shortly after the, the, the life and the death of, of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. Um, but now we've got a, a place where the Roman government uh, was throwing all sorts of persecution at these new Christians, this new church, uh, these new followers of Jesus. They're being per- persecuted like crazy, so much so that it drives Paul and Silas, really his right-hand man, out of the city. But also, in the midst of all this persecution this church is facing, this, these new Christians, um, this church seems to be flourishing. This church is 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 growing. They're crushing it. They're staying strong in all of this. And so Paul is really writing this letter to continue to encourage this new church in Thessalonica to continue uh, what they're doing and to build them up. And so we see here that Paul encourages them by saying, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless for the coming at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, one word I really want to focus on for the rest of our time today in that first verse is that word sanctify. We're going to look at that word sanctify. And the reason I want to focus on this word is because Paul is, is giving this church some reassurance in the midst of their struggles. And I feel like it, that's really the same reassurance that I believe we all need Um, Whether it's at this time of the year or whatever it is, um, when we're focused on bettering ourselves, maybe we're struggling, maybe we're just already in the thick of it this year. I feel like we need some some reassurance and some encouragement uh, that Paul is giving. And so we're going to be talking about this word sanctification. And so first I want to define what this term means, sanctification, okay? To sanctify something literally means to set apart something to set apart something, to, ta- to make something different and distinct, to set apart for a special purpose, okay? Or, or breaking old associations and forming a new one. So this process of sanctification is setting something apart, setting something apart for a special purpose. For example, um, a dress is a dress, Right? Ladies, I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm a guy. A dress is a dress, right? Um, but a wedding dress is, is more than a dress, right? A wedding dress is set aside really for a special purpose, right? It's for a wedding. So you would see a wedding dress, at least I think, I think so. A wedding dress is set aside for something more special than just a dress. And so sanctification is the process of us Christians, if you, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, is the sanctification is that process of us being set apart and set apart as special for a purpose by God. This is, this is sanctification. Now, 
We need to understand this really important thing that sanctification is a process, okay? It is a process. So when we become believers in Christ, okay, when we've made that decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, in that moment, we are what we call a big theological term called justified, Okay, justification, if you've ever heard that term, justification meaning that we are set free from the penalty of our sin. And that happens the moment we put our faith and our life in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, God starts this process of setting us apart. And that begins this process of being sanctified by God. And not that God couldn't just sanctify us in an instant. He is God, but this is a continual process throughout the entirety of a Christian's life here on earth. This is something we are all still going through. Now that's really, really important to understand because as we explore this process of being sanctified and what this kind of looks like um, and what God intended this to look like, we need to understand that this is continuing in our lives today, that we are a work in progress, right? That we are not finished yet. God's not finished with us yet and we are continually being worked on. And so as we kind of come into this new year and, you know, whether you are hard at work with your New Year's resolutions or maybe you're on the other side of that and you don't care for them that much and maybe you just have goals, if you'd rather call them goals, um, but maybe you're trying to better yourself this year, but maybe you're failing at it. It doesn't seem to be working. Uh, Maybe we've already failed, even though it's eight days into this new year. Uh, The Bible teaches us that if we are in Christ, we are a work in progress. And hear me, that is a good thing. That's a good thing. That's the best thing that we can hear. And I know some of us are like, man, no, I want to finish that. I want to be done with that goal. I want to say that like, I am done with that. I'm I'm finished. I'm complete or whatever. But man, um, it would be a letdown if you're one of those people to hear like, hey, you are not done yet. You You are still a work in progress, but we aren't there yet. We're not complete. We haven't made it yet. And we're being worked on as we, Speak And so with that in mind, I kind of want to go through, I want to break down these two verses and I want to give us four ways that will help us understand the work that God is doing in each and every one of our lives. If we are a Christian and hopefully it'll help us understand that he is not done with this yet. And he's still, um, we are still a work in progress so that we can have confidence in what he is doing for us and in us and not what we are trying to do for ourselves. So just these two verses, um, we will see what, um, I'm just gonna call them the four Ps, okay? We're gonna go four Ps. I know it's alliteration, that's what pastors do um, to help with this whole process of sanctification, okay? And those are, we're gonna look at the person, the purpose, the posture, and then the promise, of this. So let's start with the first one in the person, the person. Verse 23 starts out by saying, now may the God of peace himself. So Paul starts by saying, may God, the God of peace himself. That's how he starts this. And the truth here is very, is like what is pivotal to understanding on this, in our sanctification process is that only God can make us better. Only God can make us better. You see, 
when it, especially when it comes to our goals and our work ourselves, man, like we could, we could work out endlessly. We could jump on that bike at the beginning of the new year and do two miles and feel like we're dying already. Uh, we could lose all the weight we ever could dream of. Um, like we could earn all the money we ever wanted to, to improve our circumstances, uh, have, have the most quality time with friends that we could ever dream of to brighten our day or our week. But only God can sanctify us and set us apart and change us and make us better. And when we think about as, as believers in Jesus, when we think about what's the most important thing of our lives, and that's our personal relationship with our Lord and Savior and our growth in him, we've got to think about, okay, what comes first then? Like, what's the source of that? And like Logan read up here, he read up here what Jesus says himself in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So through our own, our own efforts of our goals or New Year's resolu- res- resolutions, like we can make and, and break and we can try and better ourselves in any way we can. But Paul is saying, hey, that God the God of peace, I love how he puts that in there, the God of peace himself, it starts with him, not us, but him. And listen, I feel like if we get that first part wrong, then we're gonna get the rest of this whole thing wrong. The process of being sanctified, being different, being changed, being set apart as special, it begins with, with God himself, not us, but God And so that's really the first point I think we need to understand of what Paul is saying here. This person, the person that will be the catalyst for our change is not ourselves. It is God. He is the vine. We are the branches. And apart from him, we can't do anything. And so number two, so first we've we've got the person who isn't us. It is God, which is a good thing, the source. Now we have point two, which is the purpose. The purpose So verse 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify you completely. Now, um, what's really interesting here is the word for completely. Okay, the word for completely. In in the Greek, this word here is holelios. Holelios, which appears one time in the New Testament. Okay, right here. One time in the New Testament, this is a compound word of holos, which means whole, W-H-O-L-E, or entire, and telos, which means end. So this word for complete here, when Paul says that God will sanctify us completely, really means God will finish you wholly to the end or finish the intended goal to completion. Doesn't that sound good? Especially for those of us who are not good at working on ourselves and maybe fail at our goals and our resolutions that God will finish you wholly to the end and finish the intended goal to completion. Um, I saw this John Calvin uh, commentary on this verse and I wanted to share it with you because I think it helps us understand what God um, wants from this process of sanctification. I'll put it up here, up here on the screen. It's pretty simple. He says this, he said, God intends the entire renovation of a man. God intends the entire renovation of a man. So that kind of got me thinking, um, do we have any HGTV fans in here? 
Come on, yeah, me neither. Yeah, uh, I saw a few. I saw a few. It's okay. Um, but it's it's funny when uh, right as I got married. Uh, me and my wife lived in a little one-bedroom apartment up in Broomfield, and I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we were obsessed with watching HGTV shows, home renovation shows, dreaming about someday owning our own home and getting to do some of these things, uh, some of these renovations. Like we would always point out things to each other of what we what we loved, you know, like oh, I, I just love barn doors, don't you, honey? Just love barn doors, or oh, well, you got to have an open concept. Like, duh, right? Or my favorite of all is, oh, I love the curb appeal of that house. Now, if you don't know what that means, good on you. Because, yeah, curb appeal, right? Um, but it's funny because we were so obsessed with these, with these shows when we had our apartment dreaming about our first home. And when we got our first home, we never watched those shows ever again, right? Because once you actually had like, it was like the possibility of doing some of these things, like once it became a reality, nope, I didn't want to do any of those things, right? I quit already. Um, but what's great about those shows, and if you, if you know, if you've seen them or you've seen commercials, shows like Flip or Flop or Property Brothers or Love It or List It, yeah, yeah, or The Absolute Best before they stopped doing their show, Fixer Upper, right? Chip and Joanna, Gains, yeah, strong Christians, right? Their stuff's in Target, so that makes them the best, right? You get their stuff at Target. Um, what made these shows so great is that they all had this one thing in common, and that was they followed the same script, right? And my wife hates this because whenever I watch, like, I'm going to say reality TV, um, I always watch it with, like a, like, a producer's brain of, like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what they're going to do. She hates that. Um, but really, they follow this, like, same script. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about, you know this. Like, they they get this dumpy house, right, for next to nothing, right, dirt cheap, which doesn't happen. Um, they start doing these renovations, right? Everything's going according to plan. Demolition is always the best part, right? You just get a sledgehammer to the wall, right? And everything works out perfectly all along the way, right? No, it, no, it, it never does. It never works out. Um, but the producers of these shows have it down to a science, okay? All is going smoothly, right? And then Joanna gets a call from hubby Chip, right? And, and Chip on the other line says, we've got a problem. And then bam, commercial break, all right? Commercial break leaves it on a cliffhanger, which I'm just saying, well, now I got to stick around and see what kind of animals are living inside the walls because there's always some sort of animals living inside those walls in Texas, right? I need to see this. So then I stick around and I come back after commercial break and it ends up being a 15 second problem that they fix. They move on. It's done with. They, they finish the job right and they get to their big reveal and it's everything's done and they've get to show off their finished product. Reality, right? Um, but here's the deal. Uh, the thing that I learned from these shows um, are that like this, a full-on complete renovation from gutting everything to moving ready, that takes time, right? Like, spoiler alert, it doesn't take 25 minutes of a show, which I was a little upset to learn. Um, but just ask some of the guys. I know John's here. Nate was here first service. Some of the guys that actually do these things is these entire full renovations take time. And nothing is ever easy. Something always goes wrong. And hear me, that's a house. Try doing that with a person. Okay? Renovating a human being is a lot 
harder and takes a lot more time. Try, try renovating a man. Try renovating a woman. God has the greater task here. And that's what Paul is saying here is that the, the, this process of God setting us apart is for the purpose of gutting us completely to, and building us back up so that when he is finished, we are moving ready. We are complete. We are finished. And sanctification is nothing more than the entire renovation of ourselves by the creator of the universe. And we can't do this ourselves, right? We, like, we would never finish, especially me. I, I, whenever I try to do any project at home, I'll start it. We'll see if I finish it, right? Uh, but we, like, we would never finish. Like, we would screw up. We would measure wrong. We would break things. We'd put things in the wrong place. But God will finish us to completion, and he can't wait to show off this finished product in front of everyone with this big reveal. So we've got the, we've got the person, we've got the person which is God, not us, and we have his purpose, which is to completely renovate our lives until we are finished. So I feel like the logical question then is like, okay, in this process of sanctification, like where does where do we come in? Like, where's my role in, in this? Like, what, what does our Christian, our posture need to be? And so let me read this again, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we get to our part. Okay, our role in this and, and comparatively, obviously, to, to God and sanctifying us continuously, renovating all of us, like we don't have that big of a role, but it is super, super important. And that's what we do with our posture. That's how we come to this. That's our posture needs to be to bring everything to God. Not just our bodies, but our whole self or what some experts call a trichotomist view of a person, body, soul, and spirit, three parts, all parts, not just giving him pieces of us, right? Not just letting him renovate the upstairs of our house, but don't touch the main level, right? You could just do the upstairs, right? Not letting him just take care of one of the bathrooms, but like, oh, the closet, don't touch the closet. You don't need to go in there, right? Not just saying, oh, well, God, you can have my marriage. You can have my marriage, my relationship, but, but the, the times that I like hang out with the guys or whatever, all my like friendships and what we do and everything, that's off limits. Like I can, I'll just let me do that. You can have my marriage though and everything that goes on at home. But what I'm doing with my friends, just don't worry about that. We need to give him all of us, body, spirit, and soul. And it says we are to be kept blameless. Well, I'm out. Anybody else? Anyone else in here not blameless, right? That seems impossible. Uh, This word blameless here is a legal term. And what it means is to be acquitted in the court of law, meaning that God, again, God, the person, not us, will sanctify us, set us apart as whole, finished, special, so that we are free from every fault. We are, we are guilty, right? We are guilty, but he frees us from every fault. 
We are guilty. We, we have a punishment, our right and just punishment, but he says we aren't guilty and we are free from our faults. And this is God's desire for all of his children. That he might make us without fault, perfect when he is finished with us, blameless. If you don't know this by now, Christian, we can't do that ourselves, right? That price is way too high for us to pay on our own, but God paid that for us, right? Even just a couple weeks ago, we, we, were, we were celebrating uh, the birth of God's son in Jesus, fully, fully man, fully human, fully God, who came to this earth and then later paid that price for us on the cross, something that we couldn't do ourselves. So he is sanctifying us to bring us to a place of being complete, without fault, perfect children of his, as we give him our everything, every part of ourselves, not just pieces of us, but all of ourselves. So in last, as, we're, as, as I kind of start to wrap this up a little bit, um, how do we know this? Like, how do we know this? How do we know he's going to deliver on this, this renovation timeline that he's got for us? Right? Like, how do we know that this layout for our, uh, this plan for our body and spirit and souls are, are going to be complete? So he seals it with a promise. And that's this next part. It says this in verse 24 He who calls you is faithful he will surely do it. He is faithful and he will surely do it. Listen, he's not one of the 23% of us that give up on their resolutions, right? That say they're going to complete something and then after maybe the first week they quit, it's too hard, they give up. He isn't the, the contractor that says he's going to put this massive, amazing kitchen into your place, uh, but then doesn't have the budget to accomplish it, right? He isn't full of empty promises or empty commitments or unfinished jobs. He is faithful. And hear me, he's done it all over scripture. We see it all over scripture that he's done it and he will do it again. He will surely do it. Again, it doesn't say he might, right? It doesn't say he might do it. If the money works out, if the budget works out, or, or if he has the time to do it, or the resources to do it, or man, if the foundation just holds up on your house, on you, or only if he doesn't get caught up in another job, helping somebody else renovate their lives. No, he says he will do it. And here's some encouragement for all of us. I feel like it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on how hard we work or how positive we are, how much motivation we have or how much money or time or resources we have, which is good news that he will finish the work he started in us. He will do the work to make us blameless children of God, finishing work on us to completion. He's not done with us yet but soon. And so I want to, I want to sort of wrap this up by um, uh, giving a little, uh, a little illustration that I was, I was reading as I was kind of um, getting this all ready this week. And uh, it starts with uh, in the year 1464, it was a good year, right? Anybody else remember it? Yeah. Um, 1464, there was a sculptor 
by the name of Agostino de Ducci. Okay? I speak Italian, right? Um, Augustino uh, began working on this huge piece of art that was supposed to be for a cathedral in Italy. Right? And Augustino began uh, to carve this insanely big piece of marble, right? He was given this big piece of marble. And man, he labored at that piece for two years, and then he gave up working on it. He gave up working on it. He stopped. Um, he wasn't getting anywhere. And he, he learned that this big piece of marble had a huge flaw in it. Right? And you can't do that with, you can't work with a flawed piece of marble. You can't do anything with it. And so, uh, so he stopped after two years. He gave up on it. So then, about 10 years later, in 1476, another sculptor by the name of Antonio Rosalino started working on that same piece of flawed marble. Right? Same piece of flawed mar marble. He was a sculptor, an artist. He tried to create something out of it, some piece of art. But the same thing in time, like the first, he abandoned it and he gave up on it because again, this flaw in it, he couldn't do anything with it. And then about 25 years later or so, um, a 26 year old ar artist by the name of Michelangelo was offered this, like an insane amount of money to create something out of this piece of marble, this huge piece of flawed marble. And as, as Michelangelo began working on this, he noticed this major flaw in the bottom of this marble slab uh, that had really stumped all the other artists that had made them all give up. And so he decided to use that flaw in his design and what he was going to make in his overall design. And he was going to kind of treat it as and make it into a piece of a tree, right, at the bottom of his work. And he worked on this marble piece for four years, and then he finished it until he was finished. And what he produced out of this gigantic piece of flawed marble that no one else seemed to complete, he finished it, and he named it David, right? And for those of you that, that know this, this David sculpture, um, today it's a 17-foot-tall statue of David um, that's in a gallery in Italy where people from all around the world go to see this. And one of, if not the greatest piece of, of, of artwork known to man. But the question was, is like, how did Michelangelo do that? How did, how did, he, how did he do it? Well, they asked him, okay, how did he do it and not anybody else? But they asked him, and this is what he said, and I'll put this up here. These were his words. He said this, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lively apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. And so one art expert kind of took that and said it a little more plainly and maybe a little less elegant, uh, eloquent way. Um, he said, Michelangelo was pretty much saying, I cut away everything that didn't look like David. I cut away everything that didn't look like David. And church, all of us are this work in progress. We're not finished. We're not complete we're not perfected. We're all under construction, being chiseled away at, being gutted, being completely renovated. We all have our flaws in us and we will be completed someday. 
We will be finished. We will be perfected and not by our own doing, not by the many goals or New Year's resolutions that we could ever accomplish, not by all the work we could try to do on ourselves, but by the sculptor, the renovator of lives, the one true God that is faithful to our completion, that wants to renovate our entire lives, chisel everything else away from us that doesn't make us perfect and blameless children of God. And he will surely do it. So my hope is, is that we rest in that promise that he will finish us and he is working on us. Will you pray with me, church? God, we thank you. We thank you for this message of um, that each and every one of us, you're working on us. God, that each and every one of us, we, we have our flaws. We are, um, we are so far from perfect, God. Um, but God, you are still chiseling away at us, helping us become perfect, blameless children of you, Father. And God, I just, I just pray for each person in this room or those watching online, um, those who are here with us today, God, that um, maybe we're at a point in our lives right now that, uh, that we're frustrated, that we, we continue to fail. We continue to try to work on ourselves, to better ourselves, whatever it is, God. And we're just, it's just not working, God. And I just pray that we can wrap our, wrap our, our minds around this and our hearts around this, this process that you are doing the work in us, God, and that you will complete us and finish us to completion one day, God. God, I just pray for all of us that, um, that are struggling right now, that are trying so hard, God, that we will just learn that um, to give you each and every part of us, not just the parts that, that we want to, God, but those, those closets, those, those other rooms that we just don't want you to touch, God, but that you want all of us, God. And I pray that we can learn to give you those pieces of our lives, give you everything so that you God, the creator of the universe can, can completely renovate our lives. Completely renovate every little uh, piece of our lives, God, that we're afraid to bring to you, God, that, that you could just gut that and build us up into what you, are, you want us to be in children of you, God. God, so we thank you for this time. We thank you for this, this passage and, and hearing that it's not about, it, it's not about us. God, and it's not anything that we can do for ourselves. And that's such a good thing because we are not good at this and we fail and we will fail, God. But God, you are, are working on us each and every day. And we thank you for that, God. And we just pray that we can um, learn to rest in that promise that you've got us and that you are working on us, and that you will complete us someday. And God, I just, I just pray for each and every one of us in this room, God, those who are listening online, that you just give us that, that hope and that promise, God, to start this new year off in knowing that you are, um, you are continuing the work in us, that we are this work in progress, but God, that you are working on us to renovate us so that you can show us off someday, being complete and finished and perfect and blameless in your children. God, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.